I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're beginning to start our studies through the book of Ephesians today. And we're going to be going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so today we're going to begin looking at verses 3 through 7 of the book of Ephesians. I was reading some time ago about... uh, some folks down on the south of uh, Florida, and that they were looking and searching for this particular ship that has sunk. They said somewhere around 1600. And there in the southern Florida Keys, they finally found, after their search for about two years, this particular old Spanish ship And there in that Spanish ship, they discovered there was a treasure that was worth more than $3 million. I would like to found that, wouldn't you? (laughs) There's something about finding a treasure. I guess that's the reason why children like to Easter, like to enjoy Easter egg hunts is because they're finding a treasure. As I was studying the book of Ephesians, I began to discover there are multiple treasures that is found in the book of Ephesians. In fact, as you'll notice there in verse 7, verse 18, chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 8, that there the Apostle Paul uses this term, riches, treasures. Not something that cannot be calculated by man. Something that is beyond our comprehension. But the value is beyond understanding a comprehension. Riches. And this is exactly what he's talking about. In fact, you'll go back in chapter 3, verse 8, and there he talks about an unsearchable riches. Refers to something that is value, that is so great that you can't even calculate it. That is what I have found in the book of Ephesians. And this is the reason I have titled my study today, God's treasure chest. We're going to take the key, the golden key of grace, and we're going to unlock that treasure chest, and we're going to begin to discover some valuable, valuable treasure that God has gifted every single child of God. We want to look at that today. You want to know how rich you are? I'll tell you how rich you are. You add up everything in your life. You think about it for a moment. Now you comprehend what I'm trying to say. You add up everything that you have that money can't buy and death cannot take away. Then you begin to discover how rich you really are. You think about all that God has given 
to us as children of the Lord that death cannot take it away and money cannot buy it. So let's look at these passages of scriptures for a few moments. Would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's precious, infallible, and errant word of God? Listen what he says. Chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us to all wisdom and prudence, the riches of his grace. Let's look at verse 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Friend, if you're a child of God, did you know you were rich? (laughs) You're rich beyond measure. And we're going to look at those riches today. Father, thank you for your precious word. What a precious gift that we have through the word of God that reminds us of the wonderful treasures that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, dear Father, that the Spirit of the living God will enlighten us and encourage us and show us things that beyond our understanding that we might be able to comprehend, to grow in your grace. And Father, we pray that today for the anointing and the filling of your Spirit And Father, we ask that Jesus might be magnified, that he might be manifested, that he might be glorified and praised through the preaching of your word. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Within God's treasure chest. We're going to begin to look and begin to discover some things that you cannot find here on earth. Some things that you cannot buy here on earth. Some things that you cannot purchase. Some things that you cannot see. Some things that is not available just to anybody. But things that are available to a child of God. I want you today to sit back and to look at the scriptures today and to just begin to realize how wealthy you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, 
we're going to open up that treasure chest. And as we open up that treasure chest, we're going to begin to pull out some wonderful emeralds of election. Now, I know when I say the word of election in a Baptist church, people kind of go into a, 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 I don't know, just kind of go into a fit of a, a rage of wondering what in the world is going to happen to, from, that is going to come from this preacher's mouth today. Well, friend, I want you to understand that's something that you don't have to be frightened of. It is something that is scriptural and it's something to be understood. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 3. The Bible tells us, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now notice what he says in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Everything, everything that God wants you to be or wants you to possess, he has given you a treasure to fulfill it. And there you began to see that before the foundations of this world, God chose you. Now you think about that. God chose me. God chose you. Isn't it wonderful to know that you've been chosen? You've been chosen. And so this doctrine of election is not something that we have to sweat or wonder or dread about, but it is something that we can enjoy if it is properly understood. Now, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 65 verse 4, listen to this. Blessed is the man whom you do choose and bring near unto thee that he may dwell in your course. Blessed is the man whom you do choose and bring. And so therefore, he begins to bring to our attention the priority of election. Now go back to verse 4 just a moment. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before God ever flung the first star in the sky. Before God ever placed in the sky the moon, the sun, and all of his firmaments. Before God ever put the first planet in orbit... He chose you. Think about that. Before the foundations of this world, God said, I have chosen you. Now, I find that very important and encouraging. When I was a little boy, I, up until I was the fifth grade, I was a runt. And you probably didn't think that, but I know that. But I was a little run. 
And I always remembered when we were choosing up to play softball or baseball, I was always the last one to be chosen. Even the girls got chosen before I did. But then I got to the fifth grade and I grew up and I became this world-class renowned athlete, as, as you probably well know. But it's not fun not to be chosen. I remember one particular day that we were choosing up and I was playing uh, baseball with my brother and all the other boys and everybody wanted everybody except me. And I kind of felt real bad about that day. And then finally, I think my brother felt sorry for me. And so he says, well, you can come on, you can play with our on our side. I felt bad. But yet, to know before the foundations of this world, God chose you and me. What a blessing. And so, friend, I want you to understand, that is a jewel that we should always remember. I remember what the writer of John said in chapter 15, verse 16. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, as Jesus was speaking. I have chosen you. I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Listen what he said. I have no question that God chose me before I came into this world, for if he would never have chosen me afterward. (laughs) I kind of feel that way, don't you? Why would God choose me? Why in the world, out of all that he could have done, that he made an attempt to choose me to be a part of his kingdom and to be a part of his family? Oh, what a blessing. See, even though God has chosen me, the Bible also teaches me that I must choose him. That I have a responsibility. Sir, you're here today. I want you to know, if you've never come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that God has chosen you to be a part of His great plan of salvation. But my friend, I want you to understand, even though He has chosen you, you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is is that you must choose Him. I, I kind of put it this way as I think about the election of mankind. Four years ago, almost four years ago, uh, we elected President Obama to become our president. We elected him. We chose him. From the other candidates, we chose him to become our president of the United States. But did you know that unless he chose to accept the election, he would have never become president? There was a choice. There was a decision of his free will. And just as it is here today, my friend, God's chosen you, and I'm grateful for that. You have a responsibility to exercise your free will to choose him as well. Somebody said this. 
Pastor, do you believe in the sovereignty of God or the responsibility of man? My answer is yes. I believe in the sovereignty of God as much as anybody believes in the sovereignty of God. But I also believe in the responsibility of man. That God has created us with a free will. We can choose to accept him or we can choose not to accept him. You make the decision. Charles Spurgeon, someone asked him and they said something like this. Do you reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? And then he made this statement. Why do you reconcile friends? Why do you reconcile friends? My friend, I want you to understand that they don't compete with one another when I think about the responsibility of man and the the, uh, sovereignty of God. They don't compete. They do not contradict. But what they do, they complete. They complement each other. And so therefore, friend, I want you to understand. Yes, the sovereignty of God, God is in control and God has elected. But all my friend, I have a choice. And that choice is to be able to say, I accept you or I reject you. I believe if a man truly, truly wants to be saved, he can get saved. I do not believe that God has elected some to die and go to hell and some to die and go to heaven. I do not believe that. But I believe that God has elected us all and therefore in return we make the choice. Listen to the Bible. Jesus said, He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He says, whoever, whosoever will come to me and call upon my name, I will hear and I will hearken. Oh, I'm so grateful to know that I serve a mighty God that before the foundations of this world that he has a plan for my life. My friend, that's rich. That is rich to know that God has a mighty plan for my life. But not only do I want you to notice the priority of election here, but go with me back to verse 4 just a second, and I want you to notice the purpose of election. Now, when you think about election, what? in the world is the Apostle Paul talking about? What is the purpose of election? Well, listen to what he says. Look in the latter part of verse 4. He says, just as he chose us and him before the foundation of the world. Now notice what he says. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, the purpose of our election, my friend, is to be holy. It's to be like the Father. It's to demonstrate His holiness. God chose me, and He chose you 
to be holy in an unholy world. Now, election is not so much of a privilege as it is a responsibility. Think about it. I have a responsibility. When God chose me, he chose me to be like him, to be holy. Now, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to these words just for a moment. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. A holy nation. Now, holiness has been greatly misunderstood. You think about holiness and you think about the misunderstanding of holiness. Somebody says, well, holiness is is that when you do certain things in a certain way and you don't do certain things in a, a, a not a certain way, that means that you're holy. I do the do's and the don'ts in a proper manner, and so therefore that makes me holy. My friend, that's not, that does not make me holy. That is a fruit of holiness to a certain degree. But that's not what the Bible was talking about when it talks about being holy. Holy. Think about it before a moment. We have such a misunderstanding of holiness. We call people Holy Joes, holier than thou. We talk about people in such a manner as a holy roar. They misunderstand the concept of what holiness is all about. Holiness is not what I do for God. It's what God does for me. It's not that I demonstrate a character that upon my own self, but that God demonstrates His character in me. That's what holiness is. Is that I have allowed Him to permeate Himself in and through my life, and through Him there is the display of holiness. Many think, that uh, to be holy, they must burn candles, eat garlic, and wear black, and have dandruff, and walk around like they've got a uh, uh, having a gallbladder attack. That's what some people think of being holy. I heard about this guy one time. He wanted to be holy, and so he joined the monastery. And so, uh, as he joined the monastery, they told him that um, you can only say three words each year. At the end of the year, the head monk asked him, says, well, what do you have to say? Bed too hard. Second year. He said, what do you have to say? Food too cold. Third year, he says, what do you have to say? Water's too bitter. Fourth year, what do you have to say? I'm going home. (laughs) The head monk says, well, good. All you've done since you've been here is gripe and complain. (laughs) 
We think, we think that being holy is an act, but being holy is being God's character, allowing his character to be demonstrated in your life. Leonard Ravenel made probably one of the best statements concerning holiness that I have ever read. I want you to read this along with me today. He says, the greatest miracle God can do today is for God to take an unholy man in an unholy world and make a man holy and put him back into the world and to keep him holy. I think it's one of the best definitions I've ever heard of holiness. Is that God can make a man holy and put him back into the world and keep him holy. There's something about the reverence of a holy God. And so, my friend, there we have discovered that tremendous emerald of election. God has elected me. To be holy. So we've noticed not only the priority of election and the purpose of election, but now get us open up that treasure chest a little bit wider and let us pull out a peril. A peril of predestination. Predestination. Oh my goodness, Pastor, you really have gone too far. Predestination. I've gotten a little nervous when you started talking about election, but now I am really nervous now that you're starting to talk about predestination. What in the world when you speak about predestination? The word predestination is the word we get horizon from. The word predestination is, is, is means that there have been a boundary set beforehand. It literally means you can put it this way, to determine a man's destiny. And so therefore, the Bible says in verse 5, listen what he says. Having predestined, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure Of his will. Think about it. Predestination does not mean, listen to me carefully, that minutely that God has predestined you to do certain things. In other words, like this lady was walking, uh, going down the steps of her stairs of her in her basement. And she tripped and she fell. And when she did, she got up and she said, boy, I'm sure glad that's over with. God did not predestine such things as that. That's not what he's talking about. My friend, what he's talking about, predestination has absolutely nothing to do with lost people. I hear people say, God has predestined some to die and go to hell and some to die and go to heaven. My friend, if you'll study the scriptures properly, I don't think you'll find that. Predestination always refers to the children of God. 
the children of God. It doesn't mean God has chosen some to go to heaven, some to go to hell. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, did you notice that? All men. He didn't say some. He didn't say a few or many. But he says all men. Then I think about Second Peter. Chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what he says. God does not wish that any people should perish, but for all to come to repentance. For all to come. So, well, let's ask the question then. Well, what does predestination mean? Predestined. Number one, go back to verse 5. You're predestined to a great position. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption. There is an interesting word, adoption. It refers to a beautiful custom that took place in the days of the Apostle Paul. A wealthy family, for example. They did not have a male child. They could go down and down to the market where they were selling slaves. And they could purchase a male child. And they would redeem him. And they would purchase him. And once they purchased him, they could and well could possibly give all their inheritance, sign their inheritance over to this young male child. And then when they die, he would receive all the inheritance of those parents that have adopted him. I think about Tim and Jen when they adopted these little boys. Those little boys became their children. They became just as much of their family as Braden was. Adopted. It's a legal term. And that when they were to die and their inheritance would be given over to their children. My friend, did you realize that's exactly what God has done for you and me? He redeemed us from the slave block of sin. And not only redeemed us, he adopted us to become a part of the family of God. Friend, I can say I'm a child of God because I've been adopted into that family. Legally. And my friend, I want you to understand that he not only freed me from my sin debt, but he adopted me as to be his child. That's why I can pray our father, my father, Abba, daddy. He is mine because I have been adopted into the family of God. I have been predestined to be a part of that family. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Oh, praise the Lord for this verse of Scripture. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons, which you cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Because I've been adopted, 
I'm a son. And because I'm a son, I am a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because I am a joint heir of Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus possesses, I can possess as well. You think about that. Did you realize you're that rich? Did you realize you're that valuable? In the eyes of Almighty God, the Bible tells us in verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, the Bible says. I have an inheritance awaiting me when I die as I go to be with the Lord. Think about this. I have been predestined to come from rags to riches. I have been predestined to go from poverty to prosperity. I have been predestined to go from a pauper to a prince. Oh, my friend, if that doesn't make you want to jump up and shout, I don't know what will. Think about it, that we have been predestined to become a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. But second of all, not only have I been predestined for a great position, friend, I've been predestined for a glorious praise. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 11. In him we obtained an inheritance. Now here's that word, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now notice what he says in verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Should be to the praise of his glory. I don't know if you realize it or not, that you're going to be a part of a hallelujah choir one day. Revelation chapter 11 talks about that. Revelation chapter 11 talks about that there's going to be this humongous choir. You don't like to sing praises and worship songs to the Lord today. Friend, you're going to have a problem when you get to heaven. All this is is nothing but a dress rehearsal. Of what we're doing today when we come together and Brother Andrew comes and leads us in songs. So well, I don't like that song. Well, what are you going to do when you get to heaven and they sing songs that you don't like? Are you going to just stand there with your mouth shut and your arms crossed? And I don't think so. My friend, you're going to be so enamored, so engrossed. You're going to be so excited. You're going to be jumping up and you're going to be shouting and you're going to be praising and you're going to be singing to the top of your voice. It's going to be the largest choir that's ever been, been formed together. Man, I can't wait. I think that's the reason why the Bible says, let a joyful noise be heard. Friend, I, I, can't, make, I can't carry a tune, but I can make a lot of noise. And so, therefore, we're going to sing together. I'm going to stand beside Andrew and let him sing real loud. And I'm going to just make a bunch of noise. 
Oh, man, what a joyful occasion that's going to be. You're predestined for that. Not only going to be the largest crowd, but it's going to be the loudest choir. It's going to be the loveliest choir. Think about this. That God said, I have predestined that there's going to come a day and a time where we're going to shout and sing and praise and worship the mighty God that we serve. Oh, when I think about Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, and I think about his redeeming work, and I think about his adoption that he's adopted us and that we become joint heirs. And I think about how blessed I am. Oh, what a wonderful occasion that will be. Well, friend, you're not only predestined for a glorious praise, but you're also predestined for a grand privilege. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 is a very important passage of Scripture. We are reminded of Romans 8, verse 28, but verse 29 is equally or even greater. Listen to what it says. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The primary goal. The primary goal that Jesus Christ has for your life, the primary goal that the Father in heaven has for your life is that bit by bit, you're being molded, you're being squeezed, you're being formed into that perfect image of Jesus Christ can't imagine for somebody to come up and say man you're just like Jesus what a compliment well I've got a long way to go but my friend one day one day there's going to come a time where I'm going to be just like him my heart's desires to be like him today I hope I'm more like him than I was yesterday. Tomorrow, I hope I'll be more like him than I was today. But there's always those shortcomings. There's always those shortcomings on this side of eternity. But there's going to come a time, going to come a day, when I'll be just like him. The Bible says you've been predestined for that fact. Well, let's move on. Let's look at the ruby of redemption. The Bible says in verse 7, listen what he says. In verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. My friend, I want you to understand, before I was adopted, there had to be a price that was paid for me to be redeemed. And that was, of course, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd walk through the streets of Rome during the days of the Apostle Paul, 
three out of every five were slaves. 60% of the Roman Empire were slaves. Paul says, we were once slaves in sin. Think about that. We, every single one of us, was on the slave block of sin. But oh, thank God, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And he paid a price. And he paid a price with his blood. And that price of redemption, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you're not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redeemed. Redeemed. I like what Fanny Crosby wrote many, many, many years ago. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Boy, she understood what redemption was all about, didn't she? Redeemed. Oh, how I love to proclaim it. The Bible says. Heard about this wealthy doctor. And his wife had gone to Europe. And she had found this expensive fur. It cost $50,000. And so she wired home and asked permission to purchase this particular fur coat. He wired it back. He says, no, comma, price too high. Well, when she returned from Europe, she was wearing the fur coat. He says, why did you purchase that coat? She said, because of what you wrote in the wire. No price is too high. (laughs) My friend, I want you to understand there was no price too high for you. Jesus Christ gave his all to redeem us forever and forever. I am his all. And then, oh, my friend, the pardon of redemption, forgiveness means to carry something away that may never, ever return again. I forgive my garbage can every, every Thursday morning. My garbage can takes all my garbage for the week, and he carries it away. All my garbage has been forgiven. They never bring it back to me. It's gone. Gone forever. And when I come before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I ask him to forgive me and to cleanse me, he takes my garbage. And he never brings it back again. Oh, look with me. The one last beautiful, beautiful piece. The gold of grace. Listen what he says there in the latter part of verse 7. He says in verse 7, the latter part, according to the riches of his grace. All this, all these different treasures, 
All because of His grace. Thank God for His grace. The key to faith inserted in the gold of God's grace is unwrapping that wonderful, wonderful gift that He has given to us through these treasures. Have you ever heard of a man by the name of John Marshall? Oh, I don't talking, I'm not talking about the Supreme Court justice, but another John Marshall. I'm not sure if you ever heard of him before, but John Marshall was a prospector in California. In 1849, he had been panning for gold for three years. Finally found the gold. Word got out. And uh, people from all over America started rushing to California. The Great Gold Rush, they called it. Many people became millionaires because of that gold that was discovered in those hills in California. But you know what happened to John Marshall? John Marshall was found in an old abandoned gold mine. He was a derelict. He was destitute. He was a pauper. He did not have one red cent to his name. You know why? He didn't file a claim. The first one to find the goal. But he didn't file the claim. My friend, I want you to understand there's treasures up here. God's giving you a treasure. And all you've got to do is file a claim. And it's yours for all eternity. Father, thank you. Thank you for your precious word. And for the word that speaks to our hearts, challenges our souls, convicts us. And Lord, we pray. There will not be a single person today that would go out of the doors of this church that would not accept the wonderful riches of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Being saved, being born, being adopted, being redeemed. Lord, I pray. For your spirit to move and work in the lives of your people. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts today. Some needs to come and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some need to come to be baptized in his likeness. Some need to come, unite with this church and to be a part of this wonderful church. And so, Lord, have thy own will and way. In Jesus we pray.